I know the last several weeks you've had guest preachers. Uh, over the course of the summer, our two seminary interns from Princeton Seminary have each preached three times, and uh, so you've had a chance to hear a number of people, and I had a chance to listen to the sermon last week, which Reverend Graham Baird preached here, uh, which was about the Nebo Nexus, the end of the uh, Exodus story. We pick up that story in this text from Numbers this morning. The national life had been organized. They'd organized their cultic life together, their, their court system, their public life, and their religious life. And now they send out a reconnaissance team. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the book of Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each of their ancestral tribes you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said to them, Get up there into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is like whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, and whether they are few or many, and whether the land they live in is a good or bad, and whether the towns which they live in are unwalled or fortified, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be bold. Bring some of the fruit of the land. Now it was the season for the first ripe grapes. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Yet the people who live in the land are strong. And the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And then the men who had gone up with them said, We're not able to go up against this people. They're stronger than we are. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great size. There we saw the Nephilim. The Anakites come from the Nephilim. And to ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer. Gracious and almighty God, we have come to hear your word. We have come to receive what you and you alone can give. So speak to us now as only a living God can. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart 
be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Transitions come throughout life. Like it or not, there are passages that we must face. Some of those passages we get to choose, like going off to college or moving or marriage or becoming a parent. Others are unavoidable, like aging or the loss of health, the loss of loved ones, economic downturns. We may not be able to control everything that happens to us, but we do have the ability to decide how we will handle what happens to us and how we will respond to what happens to us, how we will embrace the passages of our lives. As we heard in our time with younger worshipers, this is the time of year when children and their families are preparing for the new school year. You may have a child or a grandchild yourself who is beginning school this year, perhaps in our nursery school or at one of the local schools. I remember the year that my wife Lynn and I took our eldest daughter to college for her freshman year. We planned and we plotted and we prepared. It was a 1,300-mile drive with a trailer in tow. Little did we know how small those dorm rooms really are, especially when you only get half of them. We drove straight through the night, 23 hours straight, nonstop. Our son was so proud of the fact that he only had to use the bathroom once in 23 hours. <laughs> it's junior high boys for you. All the details had received attention. There was bedding, there was shampoo, the computer, tuition payment, spending money. We're Presbyterians after all. <laughs> Everything happened as planned, clockwork. Once I'd completed all my fatherly duties, carrying boxes up several flights of stairs, hooking up the computer system, I stood there next to our daughter Molly and I watched as the faculty received the entering class. And then it hit me. I, I was not prepared for her to leave. Those emotions rushed in with great force. And I was overwhelmed by the transition, and I choked back tears. Here our little girl was leaving home. Passages come whether you're ready for them or not, rarely do they come as we expect them. That day, the orientation speaker identified three important questions on the minds of every entering student. The first, will I make it? Am I going to be all right here? Can I adapt to this new place and this new environment? What happens if uh, you finish the sentence? It's the question of survival. Secondly, am I good enough? Will my previous preparation serve me well here? Can I overcome my inadequacies? Am I disciplined enough? 
Will I continue to procrastinate? Can I do the work? The second question is the question of competence. And finally, the third question, will they like me? Will I make friends here? Will I ever feel at home in this place? Will my laughter ever be genuine again, or will it always be rehearsed? It's the question of value. Will your presence in this new place be valued by others? Now, life has enough uncertainty to make us anxious. But we just seem to be willing and able to relish in that anxiety. Over the summer, I had the chance to watch more than the usual amount of the 24-hour news cycle. And there's certainly enough news out there to make us anxious. And the media continually, daily, has breaking news stories about things that ought to concern us so that we'll watch. And the message just seems to be that just beyond your attention are these insidious forces that are at work threatening to undo everything you hold dear, be they economic or environmental or political or moral. Your life and everything you believe in is being threatened. You just don't know it yet. Turn on your television and watch. So you turn off the news and you go for a little entertainment. You turn on your Netflix account. Almost every drama, Narcos, Ozark, House of Cards, they chronicle the descent into human depravity. They have remarkable character development. They have complexity of plot lines like you can't believe, but I never see any redemption in the storyline. Both the news and our entertainment lead to a kind of hopeless uncertainty about the future. What happened this week in Charlottesville and Barcelona is reprehensible. Within this country, we seem to be intent on once again fighting both the Civil War and World War II at the same time. At least, we seem intent on revisiting the issues that led to those horrific wars. White supremacy and Nazi, neo-Nazi ideology must be denounced in no uncertain terms. White supremacy and ideology of the Nazis must be denounced in no uncertain terms. Marching in militia uniforms with assault weapons and tortures will inspire counter-demonstrations. These ideas and those who espouse them are at the radical fringe of American society, and they are not representative of the country as a whole. However, the 
proponents of the anti-fascist movement on the other side are prepared to decide themselves who has the right to assemble and speak under the Constitution of the United States. So taking matters into their own hands with baseball bats and the intent to do harm, they're prepared to deny free speech to others who do not share their views on college campuses and in the public square. And there is a new atmosphere of fear and hatred in our political life. In the words of Abraham Lincoln long ago, we are a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. The civil war began in 1861, ended someday soon, I hope. One social commentator this week put it in these terms. We're living in an age of anxiety. The country is being transformed by complex forces like changing demographics and technological disruption. Many people live within a bewildering freedom, without institutions to trust, unattached to compelling religions and sources of meaning, uncertain about their own lives. Anxiety is not so much a fear of a specific thing, but a fear of everything, an undeniable, unnameable dread about the future. And people will do anything to escape it. End quote. Fear of everything. An unnameable dread about the future. Does that sound like any of us? Well, that's precisely what God's people felt in this story in Numbers. They had the courage to leave the only home they knew, and now they find themselves homeless and landless, caught somewhere between leaving and settling in a land of promise. What they knew in the past was slavery. What they hoped for in the future was freedom. But deliverance came at a price. Promised lands are not supposed to be so difficult to inhabit. But ask any married couple who has entered that promised land on the threshold here after a year. It's a challenging promised land to inhabit. Ask any new immigrant who has moved to this country after the first six months, and they'll tell you it's a it's a Difficult, promised land to inhabit. Ask any new parent or any retired person after the first two weeks and they'll tell you it's a difficult, promised land to inhabit. 
So this wandering band of tribes in the Negev desert sent out a scouting party to determine whether what they were up against was worth the effort. And you know the story. A leader from one of the 12 tribes chosen for the assignment, all 12 went in together to the land with the instruction, be bold. Bring back some of the fruit of the land. They did what they were told, but they came back with differing accounts. A difference of opinion. Some asked, some saw the task ahead only through the lens of what they were going to have to go through. The Nephilim, the Anakim, those huge, muscular, WWF-looking people who were going to make sure that any transition would not be easy. So they came back with a report that the next campsite was actually occupied. It really wasn't very good anyway. So to the first question, will you survive? The answer was no. Are you competent enough? No. Will they value your presence? No. The majority of that reconnaissance team predetermined that the future was closed and too great a risk. It seems that it was another age of anxiety. Caleb and Josh, Joshua saw things differently. They saw a world of possibilities, a future that was not without struggle, but it was not only struggle. They saw a future for themselves, and they saw the kingdom of God. They had not lost their imagination in the midst of an age of anxiety. Yeah, I... I guess it's really true. I've said it before. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. So what report are you prepared to bring back about whatever passage in life you happen to be going through this morning? Do you see possibilities? Do you see God's unfinished business with you and the world? Or do you only see giants in your future and wish you'd stayed home? It was a crisis for the Hebrew people as they approached the boundary of the land of promise. And there was good reason to be concerned, God knows, that particular piece of real estate they were looking at is the most fought-over land in the world even now. But what concerns the biblical text and the writer today is what happened among them and between them, in them, in the age of anxiety. Complaining and grumbling was rampant. Leadership was called into question. And perhaps it is always so during times of transition. 
I suspect if you look over the course and history of your own life, you might have been tempted to play it safe at certain junctures along the way. But when you took the risks, you probably, it probably resulted in some of the most gratifying developments in your life. What promised land are you about to enter? Do some reconnaissance on your own. Be bold enough to take some of the fruit of that land. Don't believe the majority opinion just because so many others agree with it. You can survive. You are competent enough. You will make friends. Live large. Believe you do belong. God is here and leading you to a future with hope, a future that belongs to Jesus Christ. And God intends to work in you and through you and intends to include you in the redemption of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, for the majority then and now, the world is reduced to a place where the only powers that operate are domination and strength and force and power and fear. For most, the world is a static place where everything is settled. And in short, it's a world without God. For many, they look around and only see giants on the landscape. And in a world without God, the best you can hope for is just a human thing. But in a world with God, anything is possible. Childless couples become parents of an entire race and nation. Young shepherd boys take on Goliath-sized problems with only a slingshot. A group of 5,000 is fed with only a few loaves and a couple fish. Even death itself becomes transformed into life eternal. You have to look at life through the eyes of faith. Keep the lens of hope clean and functioning. And treat all people with love as you would want to be treated yourself. Years ago, another Abraham, Abraham Davenport, was a lawyer, judge, and public servant from the state of Connecticut, and he was a resident of Stamford, Connecticut. He lived during that period of the American Revolution, another age of anxiety. It was a tumultuous time in history. Life was difficult for the early Americans. But their Puritan background and their faith in God provided a framework for understanding their lives. And it inclined them to see the hand of God in everyday events. So on May 19, 1780, when almost complete darkness descended without explanation on New England, many of them believed the day of judgment had arrived. 
Now, whether that darkness was the result of an eclipse, as we will see tomorrow, or whether it was from smoke from the forest fires, no one knows for sure. The Connecticut General Assembly had already begun their deliberations when the chambers of the State House in Hartford grew so dark, it seemed that somebody had just turned off the sun. Birds were silent, chickens returned to the roost, and due to the inability to conduct business and the general anxiety from that darkness, the House of Representatives actually adjourned. But in the council, those present turned to Abraham Davenport, their most respected colleague, for direction. The story goes that without any hesitation, he answered, I'm against adjournment. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles be brought in. And that settled it. The candles soon dispelled the darkness and deliberations continue and a bill amending the act regulating fisheries in the state was passed that day. This is not the first time in history that there's been an age of anxiety. Let's not spend another year wandering in some desert worried about the future but let's be bold let's dispel the darkness with whatever light the Lord grants us and let us move forward into whatever promised land the Lord is guiding us towards collectively we stand on the threshold of our future together as a nation Individually, we stand on the threshold of some passage that's significant. Believe that you are a child of God. Believe that you belong to Jesus Christ and that you will survive and that you're competent enough and that you have value. And we'll figure it out. Let's commit ourselves again to the ideals that have always drawn the American people together. Do justice, love kindness, and let us walk humbly with our God. We may not have it all together, but together we have it all. Thanks be to God. Amen.